signal right here? I think we do. Good. So we are in uh, Philippians. We're going to finish chapter uh, 1 today. So if you have a copy of God's Word, we're going to look at Philippians 1, starting in verse 27. This is the title of today's message is The Joy of Staying Strong in the Battle. Now, when we use the word war, there are many other words that probably come to mind when you think about war. War is pain. War is destruction. War is death. And it's been famously said that war is hell. I don't know if I've ever heard the two words war and joy used together. Is it, is it um, reasonable to, to say or to imply that there can be joy in the midst of the war? Can there be joy in the midst of the battle? It, it kind of brings me back to Paul's letter to the church in Thessalonica where he's talking about pray without ceasing and rejoice always. Again, a very similar parallel to what we're looking at in the book of Philippians about finding joy. And he says, and give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. And so when I think about this idea, this, this concept of war and, 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 and waging war and being in the midst of a battle, is that yes, in the midst of that circumstance, it, it may be painful and it may be destructive and there may be death and carnage and it may be hell. But as believers in Jesus Christ, again, obviously, spiritually speaking, as we walk through this life, which is a battle, which is, it is a war, we can still have what? We can have joy. And I feel like part of that, and, and as we'll get into this message a little bit more in a, in a moment, I feel like part of the perspective of still finding joy is knowing who we are and who we're fighting for. You know, I mean, if you have a commanding officer who is like a father or a brother to you who would, who would go the extra mile for you, who would lay down his own life for you, as a soldier, as a good soldier, you're, you're, you don't even begin to hesitate. You want to go fight for that man because of the what? The relationship that you have with him. You want to go fight with those brothers in arms because of the what? The relationship. And so even though you're in the middle of this difficult and painful and often terrible situation, which is, let's just be honest, it's called life that we live in, this world in which we live, there's still something about finding the strength and the joy of, of staying the course and persevering and, and, and understanding our role in this battle and understanding who our king and commanding officer really is. And it is in, I think, that relationship that we have with Jesus Christ and that, and that intimacy that we have with the Lord, that's where we find our joy to stay strong, to stay in the engaged to stay in the battle. You know, there are there are many different themes and um, I'd say lenses through which we can view our lives. And the scripture is such an amazing, does an amazing job at, at painting the picture. And let me give you a couple of examples of what I'm talking about. When we talk about our relationship with God, we often talk about it in familial terms, right? He is our father, we are his Children, we are brothers and sisters. So we talk about a family, like God, you know, the family of God. We talk about it as a sheep has, I mean, a shepherd has his, his sheepfold. Like we are, we are his sheep and he is our chief shepherd who is overlooking the flock and protecting us and providing for us. You know, that, that's one of those illustrations that God gives us. There's, there's the builder and the planter. You know, he is the, the vine, we are the, the branches. You have all of these different lenses through which we can view our life and our relationship with God. But one of, one of them, that I think it's very consistent throughout the entire biblical narrative, is the idea that we are in a war, we are in a battle, and that God is the God of angel armies. He is the Lord of hosts. He is a warrior. He's our warrior king. 
and that he has declared war, and war has been, been declared upon him, and he fights. He fights. And therefore, we, in that sense, have been enlisted into his army as what? As soldiers. So you, you can view the Christian life through the lens of this militant understanding that we are soldiers in a battle that has real wins and losses. It has real casualties involved. This isn't just something that's abstract and, you know, ethereal that we can think about and symbolically say, oh, yeah, that makes sense. No, this is a real war. This is a real battle that, that involves our very lives and eternity is at stake. And that's where Paul is really leading us to, to look at our Christian life through the lens today of this perspective of being in a battle. So if you look at Philippians 1, let's, let's read verses 27 through the end of the chapter. And Paul says this, he says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ... So that whether I come and see you or am I or I am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents or by your opposition. This is a clear sign. In other words, we're, we're not to be afraid. He says, this is a clear sign to them. Who? To our opponents. That there is, a, there is an enemy out there. Our opposition. The kingdom of darkness. To them of their destruction. But of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe in him, but also suffer. For his sake. Got a lot of people suffering right now. It's like we can't catch a break, you know. Every time you, you turn around, it's somebody else's family member, loved one, sick, dying, divorce, accidents, death, kids. Just, you know, it's just so much out there right now. There's so much suffering. But look at what he says in verse 30. Is that we not only believe in him, but we also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw that I had, and you now hear that I what? Still have. So Paul is doing his best to encourage the Philippians to stay strong in the battle, because this is a battle that he was once in, that he's still in to that very day that he was into the end of his life, and, and quite frankly, that we will be in until the day that we die. That's what this passage is really all about. And so there are some different roles as we think about a war. Um, there's a lot of different roles that we can um, play or, or take on when it comes to a war. Some people are commanders and captains and generals and leaders in this war. Others are, are foot, foot soldiers. Both are needed, both are necessary. So some are more qualified in positions of leadership and vision and strategy and others are just tell me what to do and, and I'll be faithful to do it as a foot soldier. That's the kind of the way the church is organized. You know, we have we have pastors and elders and teachers and people in positions of leadership who are, who are kind of leading the people. And then, then I would consider uh, the, the body of Christ as being composed of lots of foot soldiers who are, who are ready to hit the ground and go out and, and make a difference and, and take the gospel to, the, uh, to their neighbors and to the world. You also have people who are what I call, quote unquote, innocent bystanders, or, or maybe these are people who say, you know, I don't. I don't really want to choose sides. I just want to, I just want to remain neutral and just stay out of it altogether. And what we've learned through history is that that works maybe for a little while, but eventually it usually comes to the point where you have to what? You got to pick a side. Just go talk to the people of Europe when Hitler began to 
invade Poland and France and a lot of the European nations were like, hey, we're just going to back off, and not even the United States. We're just going to remain neutral. We're not going to jump into this war. Well, eventually we had to what? We had to, we had to join in. We had to choose a side. Which side are you going to be on? There are people in a war who are captives, prisoners of war, being held against their will. And we have to understand that all of us in this room today, we're, we're somewhere in, in those three or four different descriptions. We're either in the war, we're either prisoners of war, we're either trying to sit back and remain neutral, just not really wanting to get in, engaged, and some of us are, are actively being soldiers for Christ in a hostile territory. And so as we think about military conflict, we think about this battle, we're talking about a battle, guys, and this is something I want you to always keep your hearts and minds open to, that we're talking about a battle that exists on two planes, in two realms. One that is quite tangible and physical that we can see with our eyes and and that plays out in real time in human history among the, the children of mankind. Kings and armies and nations and empires. And, and even now we see this constantly playing out in many different ways. Not just like in, in a real literal battle with tanks and guns and planes and bombs. But, but in, in, in other ways too. In, in the wars of, of culture. Culture wars. In the wars of education. And, and, and all these other. In the, in the war of um, uh, information and truth and there's all of these different wars that are taking place in our world right now but then there's also another war taking place where in the heavenly realm the, the, uh, what I call the unseen the invisible now listen just because it's invisible doesn't mean it's not real nor tangible it's just that we can't what we can't perceive it. We can't see it right now. One day we will, but just right now we can't. And so typically what I, what I, what I, the way I view the world is that it's a mirror reflection. Usually that which is happening in the angelic world or the heavenly realm where there are true battles, true wins and losses, true casualties between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of God, those things are typically reflected on our earth because they are connected. And so even though this physical realm in many ways is like this mirror reflection or a shadow of what's happening in the heavenly realm, it still is very much real and it, there are serious consequences involved with this life in which we live. So let me give you a couple of steps. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk you through how we are to engage, how we are to stay strong in the battle, how we're to find joy. But I want to give you three very simple but very important what I call steps to make sure that we're even in the war, okay? Just, just to kind of see, you know, a little bit of inventory in our life. Are we even engaged right now at all? Or are we just drifting and going through the motions, kind of playing that bystander role? It's very important that we evaluate that before we really get started. Now, first step is that we have to acknowledge this. We are born as children, sons of Adam, under a curse. And unfortunately, this world in which we live, which is, was, was given to mankind to have dominion, we have these, these nefarious and evil powers, satanic, dark powers, working behind the, the lives of mankind. And then we also have something in our nature that's working against us called a sinful nature. And because of this sinful nature that we are born with, we are naturally inclined to rebel against our king. It comes naturally to us to be selfish and self-centered and carnal and sinful and fleshly and worldly because it's in our what? It's in our nature. So let me just break it down to you real quick. We are born into this world prisoners of war. P-O-W's. We're being held captive by the world and the flesh and the devil. We need to be what? Liberated. 
So the first thing that some of you in the room may need to come to grips with is, have you ever really been set free to begin with? Has, have you ever put your faith and your hope and your trust in the Redeemer, Jesus Christ, to come and set you free, to deliver you out of the grip, out of the power, out of the bondage of the enemy? Or are you still sitting as a POW held against your own will, completely out of relationship, out of fellowship with God? That's the first thing that we must understand is that we have to turn to faith, excuse me, turn to Christ in faith. And, and as we trust in him as our Lord and as our Savior and as the King of kings and Lord of lords, he does something. He sets us free. Listen to what it says in Colossians 1. Jesus has delivered us from the domain of darkness and he's transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in, excuse me, of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So the first thing that happens when we come to put our faith in Jesus Christ is that he literally breaks us out of being in bondage, being a prisoner of war, and he delivers us out of that kingdom of darkness and we are now in his kingdom as sons. That's the first thing that you have to come to grips with today. The second thing is that we have to understand that this is a real war. It is raging around us and that we have, as being redeemed by the Lord, as being a son and a daughter of the king and the, the, the Lord of hosts, the God of angel armies, he is in calling us to become enlisted in his army. Now, I do think this is a voluntary choice. I know here in the United States of America, we've had uh, military draft where you, you know, United States citizens, eligible citizens, you really didn't have a choice. And if they drafted you, you had to, had to go to war and fight for the, for the country. Um, some of them objective, you know, uh, objected on grounds of religious reasons or conscientious objectors or whatever it may be. But, but what I'm getting to here is that as a believer in Jesus Christ, the Lord is calling us to enlist in his army. And I think that we have to make a conscious decision not just once in our life, but really this is something we probably need to do every what? Every single day, back to that, you know, the full armor of God, putting on that armor every day knowing that we're going out into a what? To a battle. There's a real battle every day. And so we're no longer neutral in the battle. And then the third thing is that once we are enlisted, once we are consciously, you know, in, um, understand our role as a soldier in the Lord's army, literally speaking, we must be willing to engage and actually take up arms and get on the battlefield and begin to fight the good fight of faith. So those three things right there is what I believe Paul is talking about when he says that we must be live our lives in a way that is what? Worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In other words, have you been redeemed? Are you a fighting, standing soldier in, in the Lord's army? And are you actually engaged in the battle when you're not ashamed, you're living a courageous life, not unafraid of the enemy, unafraid of the things that are coming against us? That is what it means, I believe, that Paul is getting to. That's what it means to live a life that is worthy, a worthy soldier of the Lord. And so he gives us some very um, practical advice or very practical challenges, I think, that will help us um, make sure that we understand our role. Are we in the battle? Are we, are we serving the Lord well? Are we, are we standing? Are we, are, we in, are we just standing idly by? Are we, are we picking up? Are we using the, the weapons of warfare that God has afforded to us? Are, you know, are we even in the family at all? And I think that's, that's what we want to get out of this passage together. So here we go, Philippians chapter 1. The first thing is that we stand firm. We stand firm in the Holy Spirit. Look at what it says in uh, verse 27. This is interesting. Only let your manner of life 
be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come or and see you or I'm, I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit. Where it says how you uh, let your manner of life or let, let, may you conduct yourself in a way, in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. I look. It's interesting when you look that up, the Greek literally means that we are to live as redeemed citizens, citizens of the kingdom of God. And I think that's very important. You know, we talked a lot in here, uh, and, and you guys, I, I know I've shared with you a lot about my understanding of who we are in Christ, that God redeemed has redeemed people from every nation, every tribe and language on the face of the planet. And here's the beautiful thing about our relationship with Christ. We do not lose our ethnicity when we come into the kingdom. The United States of America is a beautiful picture of the kingdom in this way. When you have immigrants come from different nations and lands and languages and and tribes, and they come to the United States of America to become citizens of this nation, of this kingdom, they don't lose their ethnicity. But they do take on a brand new nationality. So that when a person from Africa or the Middle East or South America or wherever it may be comes to want to become a citizen of the United States of America, you don't lose your ethnic identity. You don't really lose your cultural identity. You can bring all that stuff with you. But now as a citizen of a new kingdom, you follow the what? The laws of that kingdom. You obey the laws. You abide by the rules and the customs and the laws of that new kingdom in which you have since been adopted into. That's what happens to us as believers in Jesus, is that we become redeemed citizens of a kingdom. The kingdom has a name. Does anybody know what the name of our new kingdom is? It's called Israel. We are citizens of what? Israel. We have been adopted into what's called the commonwealth, the kingdom of Israel. We don't, we don't lose our nationality. I mean, excuse me, we don't lose our ethnicity, but we have obtained and gained a new what? Nationality. We have now become citizens. Primarily, I'm still a citizen in, in this sense of the United States of America, but my ultimate citizenship is where? In the kingdom of Israel. I'm now a citizen of God's kingdom, which means that primarily my life must be defined by obeying whose laws? His laws that he has preserved and prescribed for us in his word so that the word of God trumps and triumphs over all of what man's laws. That's what Paul is talking about. And as we stand, as we learn to stand firm in the Holy Spirit, I want to just give you a couple of uh, ideas that, that maybe help you understand what that means. So, so now as, as, as new citizens of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Israel, under the Christ our king who is, who is the Lord of lords, the king of kings, we, the prince of princes, we understand his role. We stand our ground and the way that we stand our ground is to stay grounded in the truth. Whenever we begin to compromise the gospel and we begin to compromise the word of God, we begin to shrink back and, and what, what's the old, the old church word, uh, we become backslidden. We begin to lose what? Lose ground. Now think about it. How do we give the enemy ground? How does the devil and his, the spiritual forces of darkness at work in our life let me tell you something about the way the devil operates and works, because he has no authority to take anything from us, no dominion, can't take our, uh, our lives from us. He can only take that which we what? Which we give to him. And unfortunately, he's a master manipulator and a liar and a deceiver, and he knows how to you know, persuade and control, and not control is necessarily as much, but to persuade and to influence us in ways that we, own actions, our own sinful, rebellious actions, we began to lose ground in this fight. 
But, the, but Paul is telling us to stand firm in the Holy Spirit, to stand our ground. So not only is the gospel our foundation, is that we live our lives and we stand on the truths and the promises of God in the gospel. But we also understand that God has not given us a spirit, according to 2 Timothy 1, is that when we came to Christ and he redeemed us and we entered into this relation, newfound relationship with Jesus Christ through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, 2 Timothy 1 says he has not given us a spirit of fear, but he's given us a spirit of power and of love that we know who we are and of a sound mind or, or self-control. And so the Holy Spirit obviously is our, he's our helper and he's our comforter, and he's our advocate, and he's our counselor, and he is the one that leads us into all truth, and he's the one that allows us to stand our ground and, and not lose ground to the enemy, and most importantly, he's the one that allows us to fight this fight, guys, listen to me, courageously, courageously. There's really no place for a coward in the kingdom. Think about that. There's no place for a coward in this war. So it is the Spirit of God who gives us this newfound understanding that we are truly empowered, that God has given us everything that we need to fight this fight and to win this war. The second thing I see is that we are to strive hard, okay? So we, not only are we to stand firm in the Holy Spirit, but we are to strive hard... And stay strong in the battle for our faith. Look at what Paul says in verse 27. So we are to, we're to stand firm in one spirit. So there's unity in the courageousness that we have in the spirit of God. And then we're to have one mind. Now this is the key. Striving. Here's the key. Side by side. Striving side by side side for the faith of the gospel. How many of you have seen Forrest Gump? Pretty, pretty good movie. Uh, classic. I love the, the little relationship that Forrest has with Bubba. Remember Bubba? His friend in, in Vietnam? What was unique about Forrest and Bubba's relationship? There's that scene there where it's pouring down rain and, and they're sitting there in the jungles of Vietnam and Bubba looks at Forrest and he's like, he said, hey, you can lean on my back and, and I can lean on your back and we can hold each other up so that, you know, we're not going to fall into the water and get wet, you know? That's a, that's a picture. That's a picture of what God is talking about right here when it comes to our relationship with each other. You see, as Christians, the most vulnerable place we can be, just like it would be in a war, is to get isolated away from your team. If you ever find yourself as a believer, and here's the thing, I'm just going to be quite honest with you guys, one of my tendencies, just my, one of my personality traits, is that I do have a tendency to what? Isolate. Whenever I'm trying, I'm going through a difficult time or I'm trying to, uh, very stressed or overwhelmed, instead of me seeking counsel and going to a brother and trying to find Christian fellowship and community, my natural tendency is to withdraw and isolate and, and separate myself from other people. Guys, that is very, very dangerous. As believers, we need one another. The church is like a training ground for discipleship. The church is a, it is this, this intentional uh, classroom, if you will, where we come together with each other to encourage and bear one another's burdens and pray for one another and hold each other accountable and all of the benefits that it takes to 
to live together, to train together, to fight for each other, to watch out for one another, to have each other's back. And if it come, push comes to shove, even we were willing to die for each other. That's what it means to be part of the church. That's what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. That's what it means to be part of this army that you and I are in right now. Side by side, the book of Proverbs says, iron sharpens iron. So does one man sharpen another. You see, guys, we cannot sharp, be sharpened apart from being in Christian community, in a, in a lifestyle of discipleship, accountability, encouraging each other, side by side. The Christian life was meant to be lived side by side, serving each other, praying for one another, encouraging one another, meeting and worshiping together, studying the word of God together, going out and evangelizing together. That's why when you see even Jesus himself, when he sent his disciples out, he sent them out what? Two by two. Go with a partner. Go with a friend. Go with somebody that can get your back. Go with somebody that's going to watch out for you. Go with somebody that's going to hold you up when you're feeling down. And we know that a cord of three strands is not easily broken. Two is better than one. We, we see this all throughout the scripture. And that's what Paul is trying to remind the church here in Philippi. And let me just encourage you guys. If you're out there today and you've isolated yourself and you don't have any true relationship or no, no meaningful Christian community, guys, please, please don't stay there. I promise you. Get involved in a small group. Come talk to the staff. Come, come meet with me. I promise you there are so many ways. Get, get to uh, find a place to, to serve in the church. When you serve in the church, you, you meet other people and you, you begin to build relationships with them and you become part of the family. You, 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 you understand the value of what it means to have somebody else to talk to, to share those burdens with guys. That is so very important. And we need this in our life to stay strong to sharpen each other, to strengthen, strengthen each other, to hold each other accountable, to be reliable for one another. The church is an army. This is your training ground. This is your training ground. It's like a National Guard, right? One weekend out of the month. They get together. They go through their drills. Make sure they're still keeping up with their PT. They go through all of their, you know... Um, whatever you want to call it, um, regiments. And then they go back out into the civilian world. But if there ever is an event where they're needed, they're called up immediately and they know exactly what to do. So when you come together with us here in this church and in small groups and on Wednesday nights, Bible studies, and you're serving on Sundays, you're doing all these kind of things, you're coming together to train, to get the proper training that you need so that when you go back out into this world, you know what to do. You're, you're thoroughly equipped to be a soldier who is engaged in the battle, who's actually making a difference out there in this conflict, as Paul said. Number three, we stand against the devil. Okay, so we stand, we, we stand firm in the Holy Spirit. We stay strong, right? We stay strong and, and we're... we're we're called to be side by, side by side, to strive hard and stay strong, one, uh, one with another in the church. But then we also, we're standing against the devil and all his evil powers of darkness over this present age. Look at what Paul says. He says, do not be frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their what? Their destruction. Now there's a there's a interesting dynamic at work. Our enemy has been defeated. Okay? When Jesus went to the cross, when he was uh, vindicated through his resurrection from the dead and proved to be the son of God and the savior of the world and it was exalted and ascended to the right hand of the father on high as a, above every name that has been named. That was the day that the devil ultimately was, he was defeated. He lost whatever 
dominion he thought that he may have had in this world, even though he is still operating in this world, that truly was the day he was defeated. And I've told you this before, and I think it's a great illustration. It's kind of like a bad renter. If you've ever dealt with renters, it's a nightmare. And you finally give them the legal eviction notice. Legally speaking, they no longer have a right to your what? To your house. But are they going to leave? Nope. They're going to stay there and they're going to squat in your house as long as they possibly can until you come and physically remove them by force. The devil is like a squatter. He has been legally evoked and removed from any dominion and authority that he has on this earth, but he's not going to leave quietly and he's definitely not going to leave easily. He's going to take... It's going to take God having to come back to earth in the form of Jesus Christ to physically and ultimately remove the devil by force. That's, that's called the day of the Lord. That's called the second coming of Christ. That's when that takes place and that's what's happening there. So in one sense, yes, the devil has no more authority. In that sense, he's, he has been defeated, and yet he's still very much alive and at work in this world, and he's going to do everything he possibly can because he knows that his time is, his time is short, that his day is coming. So he's going to tear that house up as much as he possibly can until somebody comes and removes him physically. Does that make sense? So that's kind of what we're dealing with. He's our adversary. He's called the Satan or adversary. He's the accuser of the brethren, the evil one, the devil. He's the dragon, the ancient serpent. He, he rules, listen to me, he rules the kingdom of darkness. He commands his own formidable army of highly organized, well-trained, ruthless soldiers of supernatural and natural capacity whose sole purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. He has an army, a very highly organized army. Not only is he influencing the affairs of mankind here on this earth, guys, but he has a, a, an army in the heavenly places with principalities and powers and princes. They're known as cosmic rulers. They're known as the, as the gods of the nations. These are uh, true and real and um, literal entities that are underneath the command of the devil. He, that's why he's called the prince of demons, the god of this age. What does Peter say? He says, be sober-minded and watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kind of trials of suffering are being experienced by your brothers throughout the whole world. Jesus said, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. The enemy has declared war on the God of heaven. And guys, if there's anything that I can get through to you today, we are very much involved in this conflict. There's no other way around it. And there's no neutral ground. You are either for him. What did Jesus say? You're either what? For me or you're against me. There, there is no neutral ground. It's something that we have to really think about. We have to really contemplate as believers. So Paul is again reminding us of the ultimate demise, the ultimate destruction. He says, do not be afraid of your opponents because this is a clear sign to them of their destruction. There is coming a day when the destroyers of the earth will be destroyed. That's the day of the Lord when Jesus returns. Until then, guys, yes, we are still in a battle. We were still in about when when World War Two ended uh, and we uh, D-Day and we were able to uh, conquer the Germans there in France and uh, there was surrender. And even after we dropped the bombs in Japan and the Japanese Imperial Army surrendered. Do you know that there was still fighting going on in the Pacific for for weeks? They, they didn't get the memo. It, it took a little bit more time for them to understand the war was what? It's over. That's kind of where we are. The war, in a sense, is over, but there's still fighting going on. There's still real battle, real casualties taking place, and that's where we are in time and space right now. And it's coming all to an end at the end when Jesus returns on the day of the Lord. 
So there is a, a day of destruction. We do not have to be afraid, as I said before. However, we are public enemy number one. And I'm going to put it to you this way too. We're in enemy territory as well. And that's, that's the real tough thing about what it means to live a life in this, in this world as one of God's children who are trying to live for the gospel of Christ, who are trying to um, carry out this, this great commission that the Lord Jesus has given us. Guys, we're out here every single day, and we are on enemy turf. We are in enemy territory every single day, everywhere that we go. Maybe not your house, but some of you may say, yeah, even my house is enemy territory. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's rare to find places where the anointing of God is, is completely just engulfed in that place. Everywhere else we go, it seems like everywhere we walk, the, the enemy's there. He's at work. He's influencing. He's, he's meddling. So we have to be aware of that. And the last thing I want to share is, is just, it's just simply this. And, and this is what amazes me about the gospel and, and about our relationship with the Lord. But not only are we called to stand firm in the spirit and to stay strong and, and uh, in the faith and as we fight for the faith and, and we're to stand against the devil and we understand there's a real enemy out there and, and that, that, you know, uh, he is definitely out commanding his own forces of darkness to, to do as much damage that he can before the end, before his time draws near. But here's the thing I wanted you to take with you probably more than anything else today as we close. Jesus is never closer than when we face the darkest night and the deepest suffering of our soul. Paul says, listen to what he says, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also what? But also suffer. He said it has been granted Let me translate for you. It's been given to you as a gift. Not only to believe in Christ, because the, the free gift of God is what? Eternal life. That's a free gift. It, it's been granted to you not only to believe in him, but also to what? Do we look at our suffering as a gift? It's tough, isn't it? But the reason it's a gift because Paul understood this probably as much as anybody because of the amount of suffering he went through as an apostle and as a witness for Jesus Christ. But it is in those moments, those darkest nights and the suffering of the soul, the reason that it's a gift, those times are a gift, is because that's when Jesus is what? He's the closest. Think about that, y'all. Think about it. When is God the closest to you? When you need him the most. It's when, we, it's when we don't have anywhere else to turn but to him. It's when every, all else is lost and we don't know what else to do. That is when we're forced to go to the Lord and say, Lord, I need you. I don't know what else to do. I'm, I'm suffering beyond what I can bear. I, don't, I can't handle this on my own. This is where Jesus steps in. He says, my power is made perfect in your in your weakness. Rejoice, therefore, be glad, be thankful. That's okay. I am with you in the midst of your suffering. I'm at my best when you are at your worst. That's the Christian life. It's amazing to me. So we rejoice just to be counted worthy to suffer with Christ. That's where we find that joy, guys is that it is in the midst of the suffering that we connect with God, we find closeness with the Lord, we, we, are, we are intimate with Him, and that is where we find His peace and His presence, and we discover this newfound joy that it's our greatest honor to be considered worthy to suffer for Christ and the sake of His gospel. And in the context of spiritual warfare, because I understand not all suffering is equal, okay? Let's, let, me just, let me say that real quick. Sometimes we're suffering because somebody else did something to us. 
Sometimes we're suffering because we did something to ourselves. We made a stupid decision. Sometimes we suffer just because we live in a fall and we're just suffering the effects of the curse. But sometimes we're suffering because we're being attacked by who? The enemy. He's coming after you. He's targeted you. He's, he's singled you out. We all experience it, the spiritual warfare, the spiritual... Sometimes we're suffering because the enemy... Now, this is the thing. The, one of the reasons why it's a good thing or it's a joy is because if the enemy is coming after you, then he must consider you to be a threat. In my experience, I can't say this completely, but in my experience, when we're facing the most... The, the, the hardest attacks from the enemy, from the devil, from the spiritual forces of darkness, that means you must be doing something... Right, because he perceives you as an immediate, imminent threat to him and his kingdom, and so he's going to do everything that he can do to come against you, to discourage you, and to try to stop you to do what you're doing. That's why we consider it a joy when we rejoice to be counted worthy to suffer. Two scriptures, and I'm done. Acts chapter 5. When they had called uh, in the apostles, they beat them and charged them never to speak in the name of Jesus, and then they let them go. And then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Jesus was the Christ. The apostles understood. They, were, they, let, they just got their... They just got beaten probably to just almost beyond anything they could even process. And they leave the council having been flogged and they're what? They're praising God and rejoicing. Thank you, God, that we are counted. We must be such a threat to the enemy that we are being beaten by the rulers of Israel. Paul said, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and we may, so that I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, so that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And then Peter says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Amen. So as we go, guys, as your as your application today, um, matter of fact, I think I gave you the wrong one for this week. I think that's supposed to be next week. It's okay. As your application for today, here, I'm just going to keep it very, very simple for you, okay? Are you in the battle? Maybe you've maybe you've checked out lately. And you're just standing idly by. Maybe you're afraid. Maybe you've allowed sin or pride or, or some type of disobedience to the Lord to get you off track. And, and now you don't feel like you're any, any use for the kingdom. And, and you're just out there flailing on the battlefield without any... Maybe you've, maybe you've lost enough ground where you feel like you've, you've, you've backslidden so far. You've, get, you've given the enemy so much ground in your life, you don't know how to what? Take it back. But we have been given the weapons of warfare from Ephesians chapter 6, remember? That we have not only the defensive armor of God, but we have got what? The sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God as we stand on the promises of the gospel. And then we have... The way we fight this battle is to be on our what? On our knees. And I know everybody in this room knows we're not praying like we should. We're not praying like we can. That's the only thing that's going to get us through, guys. So as our praise team comes back up, we're going we're gonna to sing another song and, and close out. And, and this song is, is called Break Our Hearts. And... And guys, I just want to let, I just want you to allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you right now. Because there may be something going on in your life that you're, you, you've ignored, or maybe you're not even aware of it. 
Maybe it's an attitude that you've kind of allowed to, you've, 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 go, you've, you've grown uh, complacent and you're, you've got just this indifference, this complacency. Those are sins too, by the way. You understand that, right? Just because we're not out there, you know, fighting and cussing and drinking and in the bars and hanging out and doing all these terrible things that we, you know, those are the sinners out there. You know, when we have sins of omission, like a bad attitude or unforgiveness or complacency, those are just as heartbreaking to God as anything else. So whatever it is in, in your life, as we, as we get together and we sing this next song, guys, I just want to open this time up for you. I want you to, to know that you can always come and pray here. You can pray right where you are. But let the Holy Spirit minister to your heart wherever you may be. And let the words of this song really get into your heart. Don't think about anybody else. Think about who? Think about yourself. Just think about yourself, okay? So let's bow our heads as we pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I love you. I know that you're patient and, and you're faithful. And Father, I know that everyone in here is, he, we want to do well. We want to be in the battle. We, we want to be useful for the kingdom. And so, Lord, I pray that if there's any, any area of our life right now, that whether it's an attitude or a sin or a spirit of rebellion, whatever it may be, Father, I pray that you would search our hearts and know us and, and expose those things in our life, Lord, that are, that are not pleasing to you and, and get us back in the battle. Lord, help us to, to gain back ground and help us to, to engage in, 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 the, in the war, God, because you've called us to that and we want to make a difference and we want to we fight the good fight. We want to keep the faith. We want to finish the race, Lord. And we want to finish well. May you be with us in all of those things. We pray this today in Jesus' holy and perfect name. And all God's people said.